watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest theatrical and streaming releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte. And today we have five new releases for you. Prey, They Slash Them, Sharp Stick, I Love My Dad, and Official Competition. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consumer moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And Send It Back means... Life is too short for that mess. Indeed. Jason, what is going on with you? Well, thanks for asking. Um, I don't think I've talked about this on the pod yet, but... I have made my first concession to the impossible beauty standards of Los Angeles, and I am I'm undergoing a procedure. Oh. Yes, that procedure. Is it one where it changes that you never say on the pod again? Is that is that what you're getting removed? <laughs> you know, I uh, I did feel sort of a twinge in my brain uh, when I said it. That felt not unlike. I've already had some sort of like implant there uh, mm. to sort of like buzz me and shock me to make me stop. Um, so I think if you have covertly added that um, mm-hmm. into my into my brain makeup, then it is working. So good on you. No. So, the, the OK, well, before, done, yeah. before you get to that, I just one more thing that kind of. So I don't I don't live in L.A. And I don't know the etiquette around. Is it a thing when someone says that they're getting something done? It's like all understood in the room what they're getting done. Like, should I know already? Or is no. that, do I have to be like, oh, my God, what are you getting done? <laughs> no, I mean, there's so many things it could be in L.A. Uh, I mean, I could be having my knees lifted for all you know. Um, but it's not <laughs> that. No, no, it's much more pedestrian. But I still chalk it up to L.A. and its image standards. I am having Invisalign. Oh, yes. that's yes. the most embarrassing one. It kind of is. Um, it uh, It is, uh, yeah, I am about two months into it right now. Um, if anyone's li- uh, trying to listen for a lisp, I don't have it because right now I don't have them in because I'm drinking coffee. Uh, <laughs> you cannot have your trays in when you're drinking coffee. But I was wearing them for the last two episodes since we made our, our, our scheduled return. Um, so and braces? No, it's so it's the it's these plastic trays um, that are sort of like they're they're laser created around molds of your teeth and uh, which I'm sure I'm using all the right words there. And um, and then they basically just like you just pop them into your upper and lower teeth and then they um, you swap them out every one week or every two weeks. Right, but what do incre- they do? They align your teeth correctly. So it's like braces. It is, yeah. It's basically, yeah. The whole idea is very similar to braces, except for they are not as ugly, and you can actually take them out. Mm. Uh, so you, you can end the nightmare at, at a moment's notice by just popping them out. But you are supposed to wear them from 20 to 22 hours a day, so it's definitely not something we're supposed to, you know, leave out for too long. Um, and boy, oh boy, uh, they—I feel like they mis—they misled me about how long I would have a lisp. Um, maybe not taking into account that I already had the the pre-existing just natural gay voice, but um, they were like, oh yeah, normally maybe a week or two the lisp goes away. Bullshit. This is bullshit. This is absolutely a lie from the pit of hell. Um, I have had them now for two months, and there's still a bit of a lisp. And I first got these things put in right in time for Pride. The nerve! 
to add to a gay man's list during Pride Month, it's homophobic. It's just homophobic. But, you know, I did it to myself. So once again, calls coming from inside the house. Um, Does everyone think know, you're just making fun of them when you talk? <laughs> I think they think I'm making fun of myself. I'm like, oh, he's trying a new voice again. Um, <laughs> So, because uh, as we know, I am I am spiteful toward uh, gay films, and now I'm spiteful toward myself. Uh, I have unnecessarily yes. added this kinds of uh, medieval torture devices to to my mouth, and um, and it is a commitment. It is like you know, I could be, I could have these things for I think up to two years, um, and huh. they're also they're doing a whole separate thing with like trying to align these two lower back molders and now i have regular braces brackets on those so right now i technically have both invisalign and braces and life has the light in my life has dimmed a little it's dimmed uh it is it makes everything about life just that much more painful to go through it with these things is does it Uh, hurt the uh the, the bracket does uh because it has a wire running through it that just freely pokes both uh, the front and back of my inner cheek. So, uh, <laughs> so that's fun. Why, um, I wonder why wouldn't or mm, too bad you didn't get this done while we were stuck in the house for the last two years. You know, I've had that thought. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I uh, I was not really thinking about Invisalign up until I uh, moved to LA, <laughs> um, and then suddenly I was like, ooh, I should probably get Invisalign. Um, and, uh, and I definitely have thought, huh, you know what, if I had done this right at the beginning of COVID, I would be just like reemerging with perfect teeth right now. But no, I'm reemerging with like weird plastic on my teeth, um, that you have to constantly try not to stain, uh, or to trap food within lest you destroy your teeth while you're trying to save them. So, uh, yeah, I, I, in my teeth, thank you for already voluntarily saying this weren't that bad to begin with. Uh, (laughs) uh, Well, I mean, my next question was going to be (laughs) another etiquette question, which is when it's not the thing you thought that the person was going to get, what is what is the expected response? You started there. Let me just throw away all my gastric sleeve questions I had prepared. (laughs) Uh, Just quietly typing in the background. <laughs> You're like, so has your appetite gone away? Oh no, let me. <laughs> Still a valid question though, actually, because these things make eating so much more difficult. Because every time you go to eat literally anything, you have to take them out, and then after you eat whatever it is, you have to floss thoroughly. Uh, and which some people might think, well, yeah, you monster, you should always floss after you eat. To that, I say, <laughs> fuck you, fuck you. I'm a regular person. I'm not some some crazy person who goes around flossing after every meal. Uh, so you really have to like go to great lengths to clean your teeth after anything you eat or drink. That's not like a clear liquid, um, because if you leave it in your teeth and you pop those trays back on, it basically vacuum seals that stuff into your teeth. Oh, gross. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, uh, I, I don't know why I've done this to myself. I truly don't. I, I'm going to chalk it up to midlife crisis. Um, and I think, you know, better Invisalign than, you know, ponytail. So uh so yeah but it, it is it is just there's nothing about the world of teeth that can ever be easy 
uh, or painless. No, always just more torture. It is. It has always been medieval, and I don't know if the day will ever come that it will not be medieval uh, when true. it comes to when it comes to teeth because they are just bones sticking out of your mouth. So <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, wow. so it is. It is top of mind right now because I just got this fucking bracket in those back two molars this past Wednesday, and it is. It is boy, ruining my life. I mean, the bracket uh, thing is really, it feels like that's the thing that's kind of justifying the situation. This sounds like it's like medically recommended by your dentist, not you being like, <laughs> well, I my really... teeth aren't pretty for my headshot. <laughs> yes, for my headshot. Um, yeah, I was, I mean, the, the funny thing is when I was telling my mom uh, that I was getting this done, because I've had braces. I had them twice back to back when I was a teenager because the first time didn't work. Um, One on each set of teeth. One of these teeth, uh huh, yeah, just multiple rows back, and uh, and so when I told her I was having the Invisalign done, I was like, oh well, yeah, they're just seeing my teeth are not fully aligned, and she's like, oh well, you had your, and I'm like, yeah, I have like on the, my front two teeth are kind of overlap, and she was like, god damn it, that's why you had braces in the first place to fix that. Have you not been wearing your retainer? I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> I definitely stopped wearing your my retainer in college. Mother, she's outraged. Uh, I mean, so, oh yeah. my god. Put you so in I, braces and then you just undid the whole thing so you can rock around L.A. as a 40-year-old man mm-hmm, looking yeah. like Pen15. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, basically, basically, yes, uh, that is that is the vibe. You have correctly okay. assessed the situation. Well, and um, yeah, and I, so now I feel like I owe it to my like 14-year-old self and all the suffering he went through. I'm like, okay, well, now I need to actually fix those teeth because all that suffering I went through cannot have been in vain. So I feel like I, I, it's like I'm on a quest to to legitimize the suffering of my younger self, which Ooh, is when it, it starts with adult. Invisalign and you know where it ends. <laughs> <laughs> and it was adulthood, if not a journey to legitimize the suffering of our younger selves. So uh, anyway, so that is what is painfully up with me. Rebecca, what is up with you? Not too much. Been catching up on some TV. Um, just finished uh, taking a, a very non bingey although I did it in a week, approach to uh, A League of Their Own on oh, Prime Video. Yes. We have wow. two left. We have two left. Oh, wow. Okay. So there's, you know, that's been going on. We did binge watch For All Mankind the last season. Oh yeah, was that good? Mm-hmm. That was very good. Uh, we I did start watching Harley Quinn, the animated series on HBO. Uh, Is that Christina Ricci it. doing the voice? Right? No, it's a uh, uh, Kelly Cuoco. Is that her? Oh yeah, Kelly it, Cuoco. Kelly, yeah. Yeah, Kelly, um, Kelly Cuckoo, I believe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I also started watching The Flight Attendant, um, but Which I didn't. Is great. I have too many things. Kind of, I had too many irons in the fire at once. So that one had to take a back seat because we had to plow mm. the ones that we could. Um, <laughs> it's very good. But I do want to catch back up with that. She is so wonderful in that. She um, is. And then, yeah, it's nice to see Rosie Perez in a very um, uh-huh. search party, like <laughs> <laughs> menacing maternal <laughs> friend mm-hmm. vibe. Um, and I feel like there was another one that we just went through. What was it? Well, you know, as I talk about, I think every time, only murders in the building continues sure. to delight on a weekly I, basis. I'm finally uh, almost done with season one. Uh, oh, nice. So yes, yes, I have like two episodes left. Um. Oh my! And there was another one that I was really, you know, it's funny. These shows are like your whole life 
for <laughs> as long as it and takes then, to and binge it, and then it's gone. And I'm oh yes, She-Hulk: Attorney at Law started oh, this week. Of course, of course, I should have thought of that. Mm-hmm. You've seen mm-hmm. it, I assume. Of course, yes. And wonderful. Off, off to a strong start. Off to a very strong start. Can't very complain. strong indeed. Feels like uh, probably it's gonna be the one that I enjoy the most since WandaVision, just based on episode one. Yes, absolutely. Uh, hilarious, wonderful casting. Um, mm. I cannot wait to see where this goes. Did you like the very, very campy <laughs> fight scene with Jamil Jamil? I did. I did. Yes. And, you know, and anyone who's ever watched Legendary has wanted to see that happen to Jamila Jamil. Uh, <laughs> so it's really it's 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 fan service. It's campy fun. What's not to like? Uh, when you get their own. Did you know just how gay it was going to be no. when you guys? No. Whoa. No, no. I mean, I've been telling no. people that it's, that it's gayer than the L word, and I only partially mean that as a joke. Uh, I think it might be as gay as the L word. I think so too. I don't think there's any actual straight characters. Like, there's like none of like there's some of like the minor like the deep that backfield supporting players are straight. <laughs> literally, you know, literal, like center literal, field. <laughs> literal backfield, center field. Um, and, but literally any character of any significance at all, um, is either a lesbian or a queer woman or like the close friends and family of this queer woman. Um, and that's, and that's, and that's the extent of it. Uh, it is, I think I I would venture to say it has more kissing scenes than the L word. (laughs) I, I don't remember the L word word at all. Um, but I mean, probably even the most, the most recent one, I mean, oh, have you not been watching the the reboot? Never. No. missing out Heidi's very excited right now because they are filming it near her office uh oh and they, they have like some fake storefronts built for it I'm just like storefronts selling what selling what <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah uh League of Their Own is wow 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 um and the last one we watched ended very in a very upsetting way though mm, I did see mm-hmm. which is the yes the Rosie O'Donnell bar episode mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um did did feel that one coming, um, yes. but it didn't make it any easier to watch when it happened. Um, but uh, but yeah, and the funny thing was, whenever they first introduced the woman who turned out to be her wife, um, Scott was like, oh, I didn't even recognize Gina Davis. And I'm just like, is that Gina Davis? I don't think. And then it, it, it is not. But it would no, have been a right, great okay. cameo. It would have been a great cameo <laughs> to have Gina Davis playing Rosie O'Donnell's wife. Uh, on, on That would have really just been a nice... A nice little little bow on it in mm-hmm. terms of the, what they've what they've uh, how they've interpreted the original. Um, do you does the did the modernity of the sort of dialogue and humor distract for you at all, or were you were you good with it? No, I was good with it. Um, and we had just kind of gone down uh, a similar conversation during when Sol had COVID. She watched the the new uh, Jane Austen movie with Dakota oh. Fanning. <laughs> Johnson. Dakota Johnson. Dakota. Wait, I'm actually wearing a T-shirt right now. That has a little picture of Dakota Johnson on it. Oh. <laughs> and it says, actually, no. That's not that's the not truth, the truth Ellen. Ellen. Yeah. Yeah. You um, are shitting me. No, I'll send you a photo. Oh, um, God. The, the, the moment that's, that birthed a new generation, the, the, mm-hmm. a cultural reset. Mm-hmm. Oh, my uh, Soul is a big fan of of all of the you know Jane Austen adaptations and saw the I forgot what it's called now Persuasion um, Persuasion and I feel like I could hear her from across the house just being upset about it <laughs> and then we watched a couple of like YouTube breakdowns about like why it doesn't work uh-huh. in in terms of yeah the modern language in this like 
like very, you know, ripped off of Fleabag fourth wall situation. Mm-hmm. How she just like is. And then we watched the this like BBC version from the 90s, which was wonderful. Yeah. Um, and how, yeah, just the, every decision they made for her is like an antithesis to who the character is supposed to be. And like makes you lose all like um, affection yeah. for her understanding. And uh, she just sort of comes to embody the personality traits of the people that she's supposed to be satirizing in contrast to, but, uh, so we had gone down this whole, like, you know, couple of videos, you know, describing or giving their opinions about why, uh, the language doesn't work and how like just difficult it is to, um, yeah, to sort of do that language switching. But here, Mm -hmm. yeah, it seems much more casual, you know, lesbians were timeless and (laughs) what have we always been saying? All the things we always say. Mm, No, it's true. It's true. Yeah, that, that, that Persuasion adaptation does seem to be one of the most hated movies of the year. Uh, and I did see something that said that Tako Johnson's face, she just has the kind of face that seems yes. like needs to be looking at an iPhone at all times. Yes, like, yes. <laughs> so, which, yeah, uh, which, which tracks, which tracks. You know what I realized we never got an update on from you was how it finally was for you and Slow when you got to listen to the new Beyonce album together. Oh, it was very nice. Yes, was it worth the wait? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was the right moment. No? Oh, it didn't no. go well? No, I mean, it was fi- it's been fine. We've been listening to it. It's been good. Um, but, yeah, getting over COVID, I don't know. It was just not... Uh, I I don't... Yeah, it's good. I don't know. We listened to... I listened to a lot of Lemonade right before, which I think was a mistake. Mm. Um, and, and then I listened to a lot of Ariana Grande radio. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't think I was... I, I was just not ready. It'll it'll be close with us, you know, but it wasn't an explosion, you know. I, think. I see. You weren't ready to go to, to the club just yet. No, no. I mean, she tried to sing karaoke yesterday and had a coughing fit. We're not we're not there. Uh, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, that is that is I, I remember that's still to this day. One of my most lingering fears about COVID is like, oh, God, did it, did it fuck up my my ability to sing <laughs> such as it is. Um, uh, have you tried? Uh, yeah, I and that's also another thing is that Invisalign also weirdly fucks up your singing um, because, of course, it just completely changes the landscape of your mouth and like where your tongue is supposed to land when you're making you know sounds. And um, so but yeah, I, I I tried doing my famous one man version of Shallow. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, when I was in San Francisco like a month or two ago and I was very flat and I have not recovered from that. Uh, I had to mainly sing songs that were in boy voice. Um, yeah, so I, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about, uh, about, about the lingering impact on my voice. So I am right there with Saul. Um, it is, we can't lose crappyoke. We can't let, we can't let go and take crappyoke <laughs> from us. We just can't. Yeah. Um, this, uh, this episode of The Binge is brought to you by Invisalign. The latest <laughs> materials for comfort and results. Feel the difference from start to finish with Smart Track material. <laughs> oh, Invisalign. <laughs> you really did. As we, when you were afraid, we changed it from gastric sleeve to Invisalign Google search. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, we've, we've been talking a bit about it. Um, <laughs> might as well get that sweet, sweet invisible money. Uh, shall we start with the movies of the week? Number one is Prey. A skilled Comanche warrior protects her tribe from a highly evolved alien predator that hunts humans for sport, fighting against wilderness dangerous colonizers, and this mysterious creature 
to keep her people safe. Have you seen Predator? Predators? Multiple? No. Not a one. one. Not yes. one. You? I'm actually pretty surprised that you haven't. Um, I have not. It is okay. a very... But most people have, right? It seems that way. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I feel like I've seen it a lot, and I, I know that character. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. the Predator. Like, it's it's a pop culture thing enough that I would have thought that more that you would have seen it at least. Yeah, yeah, no, for some reason, it, it just never was, yeah, and it was never put on in front of me uh, growing up, so I never watched it as a child, and I was not compelled to seek it out as an adult, um, especially because it seemed like, you know, over the years it became more and more of this kind of just really hacky B-movie thing, like Alien versus Predator and that whole mm-hmm. thing. Um, so, no, I, you know, I, I don't seek out Arnold Schwarzenegger's output uh you know so i yeah i I had never never seen the originals um so i came into this one totally blind it is arnold schwarzenegger right 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 yeah yeah and i believe carl weathers um Mm -hmm. so i i went to this blind i was texting uh with beth dean about it and she was kind of contextualizing the series up to up up to this point and was like basically She's like, the good ones, which were the early ones, really didn't have much story. And then later they tried doing too much story and then it got really bad. Uh, I'm like, oh, OK, well, then that explains why this one is relatively lean on story and arguably, I would say, pretty effective. Because uh, mm. it may have been modeled after those earlier films where it's really, um, you know, it doesn't try to really it makes literally not even the beginnings of an effort to explain what Predator is. <laughs> no, <laughs> not a bit. Um, you know, uh, this, this movie really just drops you into a time and place, uh, in, in the Northern time, 1700s, yeah, the time 1700s, Northern Plains, uh, and, you know, in the, the Comanche, uh, community and, uh, although speaking English, uh, make that concession to the, to the action fans, they decided to not go the subtitled route. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, we're just watching a story that that could be just a, a a straightforward narrative. I mean, it didn't even really need Predator. I would have liked this movie almost without Predator. And it's like just watching this sort of like coming of age story of this of this you know this female Comanche warrior wanting to um, be taken seriously and have the same opportunities to uh, as the men in the community. I was like, okay, I'm in, I'm in. Um, and then throw in like an invisible alien mutant warrior. And I'm like, all right, yeah, sure. Yeah. What, what confused me about Predator is that early on there's a scene <laughs> prey. Uh, about prey. What mm-hmm. confused me about the Predator uh, is early on there's a scene where it kills a snake. And at that point I thought, okay, I like Predator. Like Predator's a good guy. Predator is killing things that should be killed, like snakes. So then I was like, oh, is Predator a good guy? No. Okay, Predator is a bad guy. So I was really, my loyalties were, my loyalties were thrown. Um, <laughs> because I felt like, okay, like Predator is doing what needs to be done here. Um, somebody needs to kill these snakes. That snake was very scary and I did not mourn its death. Um, but unfortunately, Predator doesn't stop there. Uh, but it does also later take on some other Predators uh, in the form of colonizers. So once again, uh, we find ourselves cheering on Predator. Like, yeah, go Predator, go! <laughs> Get them! Get those bad guys! Are you doing that all with the braces? All all of these just plastic covering my teeth. I'm just like, go Predator, go! Um, 
So uh, no, it's it's really just uh, I'm just like it's really just any sort of S sound at all. So predator and prey as words are safe for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, Comanche, I can say that. Uh, good to go. So. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, yeah, so I, I was really coming to this one more or less completely blind and ignorant of uh, of the entire mythology and history of the Predator series. And from what I've gathered, you really don't need to know anything. Like, like this movie certainly doesn't have anything happen in it then where, I, where I thought, oh, maybe this would make sense if I had da-da-da-da-da. Um, you know, what about what about you? What was your what was your experience like coming into this without having seen the other ones? Yeah, same. Um, I think because the the movie doesn't explain a lot and, you know, lets you figure it out for yourself, which I enjoy. I think there's kind of always that m- minute of tension at the beginning where you're like, does everybody else know what's going, know what's going on? But me? <laughs> right. And then I don't think that's the case because this is in such a, such a different adaptation of it. I think that everyone's kind of along for the, the same ride. Uh, there is one piece I think that is, you know, kind of the takeaway from the movie that I don't, or kind of the central point, that I don't know if it's unique to this film or if that's kind of always the way the predator acts. It's kind of like what you just talked about with the snake. So the predator preys on other predators, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of got this whole, there's no good guy, bad guy. It's this, you know, hierarchy of, you know, right. oh, what's it called? The super predators or whatever, the apex <laughs> predator. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but nope. yeah, I don't know if that's been the theme of all of them that it, you know, the, the right. whole kind of, beauty of the movie is how the prey uh in in this warrior is clever and and tricks the predator and tricks other predators into predating on each other (laughs) (laughs) so to catch a predator what you need to do is take another right. predator. <laughs> yes, the, yes our, them, our, yeah. our main character smartly leaves out some sweet tea. Um, it's beautiful. And, mm-hmm, and this just, movie was... Yeah, and traps the predator. So clever. Mm-hmm. Um, I had just seen Nope because we were going to we were gonna review it. Um, and, it. and it felt very similar, you know, kind of watching people figure out how kind of organic beings work and those who are like patient and take the time to understand how they act and figure out patterns are the ones that kind of end up not getting destroyed immediately. <laughs> right. Touche. Yes. Don't be, don't be reactive. Don't be too yeah, reactive. No. Take a, take, take a beat. Take, take a, a beat. beat. Just take a beat. Take All a we're beat. saying, all we're saying is take a beat. Uh, yes, I concur. Um, I think that, uh, you know, this, I would argue that this, I actually like this movie better than Nope. Um, yeah, because I, I felt like this movie for me came together better. Um, in, and I think also it wasn't necessarily trying to, well, I guess it was, it definitely had obviously commentary because we're watching a story that's rooted in the indigenous American experience. And we, um, and we watch, uh, as these characters are, um, attacked by, um, French colonialists. And, uh, you know, so, you know, you can't have that without, of course, there being um, sort of the historical context of that being what happened. Um, but it doesn't really try, it doesn't really beat its chest about that. It just kind of presents it in a very matter of fact way. Um, and you, as the viewer, absorb the horror of it and are, you know, aware of it without necessarily trying to say anything about it. The thing about Nope that I had a hard time with was I really struggled with, like, what it was saying. Because it definitely feels like throughout, like, everything feels so loaded with subtext. Um, and every now and then I would start to be like, okay, I think I know what the subtext is. Um, but then something else would happen. I'm like, okay, well, that theory's out the window. 
Um, and then by the end of it, I was like, I don't know what the fuck that was supposed to be saying, like at all. Uh, it was a fun ride. It was a very fun ride to get there. I just thought that it was a little a little muddled. Um, mm. And uh, Boris Prey, I mean, is also just generally speaking, is a is a much more just it's very streamlined. It's like a very streamlined, very economically told movie. Um, there's like no diversions. There's no uh, sidebars. There's no tangents. Um, it really just goes uh, A to Z. And, it, and, and it's also beautiful along the way. I think mm-hmm. I want to I want to use those same words, but like in in a, a maybe almost more complimentary way. Like it's very tight for an action movie. Um, like yeah, the message not the message, but the um, the logic of how it works, how the predator works. You know, all that's very clear. Um, so I think it's like you know it it's very thoughtful in the way mm-hmm. that in the way that it doesn't include extra things. But at the same time, yeah, it's it's also a beautiful journey. It's, it's beautifully filmed. The landscapes yeah. are gorgeous. The action scenes and the, and the predator effects are really cool. Watching the sort of interaction mm-hmm. between really organic nature scenes and these like this yeah. ultra sci-fi character. Um, so yeah. big, big plus on that to, to pray. Yeah. It's very mm-hmm. elemental. Mm-hmm. Nope. Um, I didn't feel the same way. I think we have get out, which was, uh, loaded with subtext, subtext, but but pretty clear. Mm-hmm. And then you had us, whew, that <laughs> that just got itself lost with what it was trying to say. Mm-hmm. Still don't understand it. And it try, it just it would, it wasn't able to close the loops. Right. Um, this one I felt kind of gave me more almost like Mulholland Drive vibes where we could stand around and, and talk about what it was about for a long time without anyone being like obviously wrong or obviously right. So I think definitely enjoyed it much more than us. Um, mm-hmm. And and I mean, it's hard to say more than Get Out because that right. was also very clever. But I, I think, I think nope, there are a couple of theories that could hold up and, and that it's open for those different interpretations I think is... Um, it's fine that it didn't necessarily tie tie a bow on it at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that with Mulholland Drive, it's it's an interesting comparison to think that Nope is meant to be that kind of like, well, yeah, you're just, the the opaqueness is the point, and it's you know, but, but with Mulholland Drive, I think it, it's just so obviously this sort of dream state, dream logic, nightmare logic throughout, whereas Nope is is presented a bit more straightforward. Um, and I've read all the different kinds of essays about like, oh, it's saying this, it's saying this. And every time I'm just like, ah, I don't feel like this is the movie I watched. So, but yeah, I mean, to your point, obviously, like movies don't need to have very clear points at all. Um, I guess I was just trying to find something to hold on to because like with Jordan Peele's films, they are always so, so, so rich with subtext and ideas. You can't. So it's not like he isn't saying something, but you're like, what are you trying to? I don't know what you're getting across. Like, it, 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 mm. I just wish I would have had even a single thing I could have like landed on mm. um, with, you know, just get a, just a foothold um, to be like, okay, so I feel like it's really passionate about this or that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, by the end, I was like, I, I don't know. Um, but Kiki Palmer was a delight. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, as always. So I'll give her that. But, um, you know, and these are all the, the nope. The uh, 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 prey, and then the next one we're going to talk about uh, are all sort of um, attempts to take 
traditional genres of filmmaking that have not always been very inclusive um, to, you know, different communities, uh, marginalized communities, and to change that, to say, okay, well, here's, let's see what we could do if we were to uh, make a film that is more inclusive. And of course, Jordan Peele has been doing that for his entire uh, career as a director so far in terms of, um, you know, bringing uh, black narratives and black focus, uh, black focus stories into the horror sci-fi space. And, uh, and then, you know, with Prey, we have, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's so rare to have any story at all that's about indigenous Americans in any format, uh, let alone, you know, really it's just like a popcorn friendly genre like this uh, in an existing franchise at that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the Comanche version. Yes, there is a Comanche version. Uh, and, you know, it's indigenous cast. Um, is directed by Dan Trachtenberg, who previously directed 10 Cloverfield Lane, which I believe mm-hmm. we were big fans of when that came out. Huge. Um, so, but, uh, and then, uh, the next film we'll talk about when we get to it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, but in terms of, but in terms of, of, of Prey, uh, I, I thought, I thought it was a pretty big success. Like this is, this has been a real sleeper hit this, I don't know about you, but my socials have been like mm-hmm. full of buzz, just like just people watching and being like, holy shit. You guys, this is a movie that of course was uh, streaming on Hulu, released on Hulu. Um, and people have found it and they are apeshit for it. Like this is a movie that has really wowed people. Yeah. I've, I've definitely heard so much word of mouth about prey and, you know, I've kept saying I haven't seen predator and they're like, no, it doesn't matter. You've got to see it. (laughs) Um, and not just like people you would think are action movie, you know, fans or, or the, the people who are still like, yeah, I still watch all the movies. All the movies I watched when I was eight are still my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. Um, and and now I think I'll be I'll be one among them. Um, yeah. As a person who doesn't generally like this kind of action sci-fi movie, I was glued to it. I was yeah. I was uh, also had a little bit of the like you know rooting for the characters, and mm. it was it was a a delight, a delightful ride, very invigorating. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean if I. Like I was saying before about the whole thing that Beth said about like, oh, the better ones have like less story. Like it is true. There's there's really there's not much to it per se, but I don't know that there needs to be. Like mm-hmm. I feel like a question I'm always asking myself now is like, what is the point of a film as a form, like as as a format, the format of a feature film? Because with TV being what TV is now, I'm just like, what is there left for films to be? Um, because TV is so creatively superior to most film uh, at this point. And I see something like Prey, and I'm like, this is it. This is what a film can be. Like, a film just needs to be a contained narrative. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, like, there, if you're going to be, like, jumping timelines, then make it a fucking TV show. Um, if you're going to be spanning <laughs> a bunch of time, make it a fucking TV show. Like, but if you're going to do a two hour or less feature film, it, it should be a fucking controlled finite narrative. Um, and where you can actually just be like, okay, and that's the whole story. Like this gives you the whole story. You get the, like, there, it doesn't need to be a second longer than it is. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think that Prey is a great model uh, for what film can be. Um, and as we continue to sort of like shift the paradigm into, into the, the streaming world. I'm giving it a binge it, Jason. Binge it. Wonderful. Prey is streaming on Hulu and it's rated R and apparently it is the uh, golden stick by which all films should be <laughs> be measured by henceforth. Otherwise, yes. get to TV. It is so decreed. 
And movie number two is They Slash Them. A group of teenagers at an LGBTQ plus conversion camp endure unsettling psychological techniques while being stalked by a mysterious masked killer. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, boy. The Slasher. It takes place in a conversion camp. Stars Kevin Bacon. Jason. I'm going to let you take this one. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, I would say that probably right out of the gate, I was excited for this when I heard about it, um, because I'm sure like many people, uh, you hear this premise, oh, it's like, it's like a slasher movie set at a gay conversion camp and you think, oh, okay, so it's by a mature leader, you know, it's by a mature leader, but with like a serial killer running around. Um, so, and naturally by a uh, by mature leader is, uh, is is the the gold standard um, before before prey by Michelle had been <laughs> the gold standard for feature films. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, and then you know you look at the cast, you're like, okay, so Kevin Bacon signed on. We have Carrie Preston, we have Anna Klumski. Uh, you know, we have this kind of young queer cast playing the campers, led by Theo Germain who I am familiar with from The Politician on Netflix Mm -hmm. and Work in Progress, the very great, um, but I think canceled, sadly, Showtime series uh, with Abby McEnany. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I was ready to go. I was ready to enjoy it. Um, uh, It was the closing selection at uh, OutFest this year. So OutFest began with Anything Goes, which you already reviewed, and it ended with this. Mm. Um, Two different films. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I... Right off the bat in this, I was... Well, right off the bat, actually, I thought it got off to a good start because it opens with a kill scene. And the kill scene it opens with was very unnerving to me. Uh, Like, I was very rattled uh, by the opening kill scene, even though it's a character we don't know who this person is because we've just met them. um, It's still just like it was hitting beats that we've seen a million times before in, like, you know, car, abandoned road, woods, you know... But it was done in, in, to me, an effective way. Like, I, my lizard brain kicked in, and I was very scared. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, I don't know what we're signing up for here. But then as it, as it proceeded from there, um, it started to fall apart kind of. Well, it, yeah, even the first scene where all the campers first meet with the staff is kind of interesting. It's holding this ambiguity um, because Kevin Bacon plays the, the head you know, counselor, the sort of the director of the camp. And he, in this first scene, comes across actually freakishly sympathetic to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, hey, like, just so you know, like, I understand that a lot of you here against your will. And I respect that. I respect you you for being who you are. I'm not here to change you. I'm not going to talk about God this whole time. Like, you know, like, all I ask is that you just, like, go through this time with me. But just know that, like, I respect, you know, and and he gets, you know, challenged quite a bit by Theo Germain's character right off the bat. And he manages to go toe to toe with them um, and being like, yeah, totally. I respect you in your journey and all this stuff. And, and you're like, eh, OK, this is interesting. Um, but I felt like after that, those two opening scenes, the whole thing just falls apart spectacularly. Um, I I was kind of not sold by any part of it. Uh, it. You know, it was from that point on, it is no longer there's no more scary parts. Um, There is nothing clever about 
uh, any of the storyline. There's it brings nothing clever to the table in terms of a commentary on gay conversion. Uh, there is, you know, there's, there's, I, what I didn't even realize was, was considered a twist until I was reading a review in terms of who is actually being preyed upon here. Um, because it gradually becomes clear that people being preyed upon are the counselors, the people who the staff at the camp rather than the campers. Uh, so it's like, okay, I guess that passes as a twist, but it was just so, I just wasn't invested. So I didn't care. And also the kills are almost, they happen almost entirely off camera. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very, very, very strange. Um, it's like, who are we trying to protect by not showing? Like, this is like, in theory, if this is meant to be a catharsis for queer viewers, so that you know, like, we can watch these, you know, these symbols of our oppression be butchered for our own amusement, then show us them being butchered. <laughs> um, but then it doesn't do that. Um, I was not, I found the young queer cast to be generally kind of like charismatic. I didn't know that I was totally blown away by the performances per se, beyond just their raw charisma. And of course the writing doesn't really do any of the characters any favors. There's not really any development per se. Um, You know, it's once again, just kind of like these, these types um, that are set aside and not really developed. There is, uh, there is a pink sing-along scene that I <sighs> found whew, tough, tough, Mm-mm. tough. Not not even Ryan Murphy would have made that during Glee at its worst. <laughs> that was. That's when we all became the victims. That was yes. That was and now and now we're hunting down the filmmakers uh, to avenge ourselves. Um, so it just felt like. It just this kind of mismatched, misguided effort to bring inclusivity to the horror genre. I saw an interesting take on this. So it's written and directed by John Logan, which is very strange because John Logan is actually a very accomplished screenwriter. Um, Like, I believe he wrote like Gladiator. He wrote The Aviator. Uh, Like, this is somebody who has had a very, very legit prestige Hollywood career. This is his directorial debut. He is gay. And he says something about like, oh, I just want to see a horror movie that celebrates, you know, my community for once. What? And, <laughs> uh, and you know, which already right off the bat, since you've seen the movie, you're thinking, as you just said, huh? Um, <laughs> but then also, but also, as as somebody pointed out that I saw, since when do horror movies celebrate anyone? <laughs> <laughs> Like that's kind of like they don't. <laughs> no one gets celebrated in a horror movie. Uh, they are nihilistic by nature. Uh, you know, it is there. It, there's there's no such thing. Um, so it, it just felt like he had some just bonkers idea of what a horror movie is, and you know, it just doesn't. There's just nothing satisfying about this movie. Uh, it just feels yeah, just super misguided. It tries to combine this kind of very kind of generic unthoughtful unoriginal like yay gay kind of narrative um with this kind of half-baked c horror movie and it just they don't combine it i would think that it would be uh, easier to be more straightforward in a horror movie because there isn't like a lot of expectation around it being perhaps as as clever as um you know as maybe like a thriller or a drama or comedy. Um, and I know that's like kind of a simplistic take, but I mean, this falls for the, the same issue we were talking about before with us, which is 
it it sort of brings in so many ideas about uh, sexuality and and conversion and and it's just it's so muddled and you're confused the whole time. It's a bunch of just sort of like uncomfortable scenes strung together, but it doesn't have any kind of it doesn't have a through line about who's doing what, why. And, um, and when you finally find out who the killer is, I think it does the opposite of what it sets out to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the whole problem to begin with. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's just fundamentally misguided. Like it's just like not like there's, there's no good choices here. Um, I, I just, yeah, it was uh, frustrating. It was frustrating to watch. Um, and you know, and there's, I mean, there's, yeah, there's a few, like, I, I do love Anna Klumsky. Uh, <laughs> she, uh, I mean, like anyone who watched V it's just like, anytime you see her and you, and she starts to slip into what you feel like is like Amy, mm-hmm. um, where she suddenly just starts to look like very like wide eyed and stressed. I'm like, okay, what? Um, you know, you're like, Amy, <laughs> it's just such a delight. Um, and you know, Carrie Preston has like one scene where she gets mm. to really just keep her eyes wide and just be terrifying. Um, and she played the hell out of it. Um, and Kevin Bacon, you know, does do a good job of a kind of um, just de- keeping the audience kind of destabilized and unsure of his whole vibe, even though we're, even bro, I mean, like, uh, you know, his whole vibe is going to end up being bad. Uh, <laughs> like, he, you know, he shouldn't be trusted. Um, so, but yeah, it, it's, I, I will say, I, I, I almost turned the movie off um, at the dog part. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, it's, the movie was just, I, I was already, like, it was already draining me. And then when I got to that part, I was like, if they show this on camera, I'm just going to turn this off. Because, like, there's literally, I'm, I'm going to text Rebecca and say, we're not doing this movie. Uh, <laughs> like, don't put yourself through this. There is no point. Um, you know, and they ended up, I guess, handling it tastefully enough that I was like, okay, I guess I'll keep watching. But it was certainly dicey. Um, yeah, I just, it's just, uh, it is a thorough waste of valuable short lifespan. And in that sense, it is the textbook definition of a send it back, which is what I'm <laughs> And a movie. It is self-contained. Um, <laughs> True. It's also getting a send it back for me. It is streaming on Peacock and rated R. Movie number three, also uncomfortable, is Sharp Stick. A naive 26-year-old living on the fringes of Hollywood begins an affair with their older employer and is thrust into an education on lust, loss, and power. Um, this movie was very hard to watch. Harder to watch than they, them. They slash them, sorry, I think. Uh, this, is, uh, this movie stars Lena Dunham. John Bernthal. Lena Dunham did write and direct this as well. Write and directed, yes. Her first feature film since her first one, Tiny Furniture. Right. Um, Which shows up at my recommendations and any place I go for some reason, even though I have seen it already. (laughs) Christine Frotha (laughs) plays the main character, Sarah Jo. Um, And then, of course, everyone's favorite uh, alter ego, Jennifer Jason Lee, (laughs) plays her mother. (laughs) And Taylor Page plays her sister, Triana. She does. This is a tough movie to watch. Tough, tough, yeah. tough, tough, tough. Um, I, uh, I, I think my 
letterboxed review of this movie <laughs> just just said, guys, we broke Lena Dunham. Yeah, I mean, I think she, yeah. Yeah. The main <laughs> character in this movie, Sarah Jo, uh, is a babysitter. Um, also and- just a baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how she's a babysitter is also very I think in the first moments of the movie I was like and there was yeah. and who's watching who? <laughs> she's a very sexy baby. <laughs> <laughs> um she's basically this 26-year-old virgin who um watches uh the son of this couple that's Lena Dunham and John Bernthal. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I just remembered another Rita thing from Arrested Development. When she says, when she's with the kids, and he's like, oh, how nice that you teach them. And she's like, oh, I'd like to think they teach me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, guys. Re- re- <laughs> I'll leave it, I'll explain, leave it there. Explain that reference. <laughs> okay. So I told Rebecca, so way back when this movie premiered uh, at Sundance this year, which is when I watched it on the in the virtual version of Sundance, uh, I saw right away on on, on Twitter, uh, somebody did one of those things where they like they have the name of the movie in the year came out in the director and then a, a picture from a movie, a movie that is not that movie. Um, and for this, uh, it was a picture of um, of Jason Bateman and Charlize Theron and their characters from Rust Development season three. Um, and uh, and it hit me immediately because the, the character Sarah Jo is. Is is a, is a child woman. Uh, and it is, it is the whole reason that the movie is so profoundly impossible, um, is this character has been conceived in such an extreme, extreme way in terms of her vulnerability, her naivety, uh, her childlikeness, uh, like she does not in any way register as an adult with an adult's understanding of the world um, or agency or like, like it is, it is a, and I'm sure it's not Christine Froseth's fault. I'm sure Alina Dunham was directing her at every single juncture to act the way she acts in this movie. Um, And that's the vision that Lena had for this exploration of sex and power for some reason. Um, But it is, it makes the whole movie impossible uh, like every other character except for her character is a recognizable adult human. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Sarah Jo is the protagonist, and she is fundamentally not that. And it's, what makes yeah. it so hard to understand that it is a comedy because mm. it feels so exploitative every step of the way because you cannot understand that 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 this main character. I, it just feels so. It, it just feels so wrong. It, if it was a drama, and you're like, okay, there, there is this person who's kind of forced into being a, a, like, you know, an adult taking care of herself, and mm-hmm. um, in this kind of crazy family with this crazy mother. Okay, but it, that this is a comedy, and that we're supposed to kind of, I don't know, look past that, or, or we're supposed to be la- laughing at it. I don't. Yeah, yeah, don't it's like tough. It. And if it was a commentary on the way that culture, American culture, like infantilizes female sexuality or something. Mm. Um, like going back to the 30 Rock reference I just made, whenever there's the the female writer uh, who joins the right. TGS staff and she's like, I'm a very sexy Amy. <laughs> um, and, you know, and the sort of whole, you know, and at the time there was so much discourse about like baby voice, mm-hmm. Paris Hilton and the baby voice. 
um and you know like why um it's more desirable when when you know women present themselves in these kind of weirdly childlike but still sexual ways so like there that's a rich subject matter to explore in a kind of satire or dark comedy but if that's what lena was trying for with this i don't know that she got it mm-hmm. i don't know that that's what comes across when you watch this movie um like you know because we don't get the sense that we don't see the forces in Sarah Joe's life that would have made her act this way because we meet her mother, who I mean, Jeremy Jason Lee is very much playing a Jeremy Jason Lee character. She is every bit as like jaded and, mm-hmm. and weary uh, as you would expect. Um, and then we, her, uh, her adopted sister played by Taylor page also is, I mean, like they, they, I, the way that they portray that character, I famously Lena Dunham has been, has been taken a task a million times about her uh, lack of representation of people of color in her work. I don't know that the character Taylor Page plays here is going to really help her. Mm-hmm. Um, and the movie begins, at least in the cut I saw with like really tight close-ups on her like undulating body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, She's trying to be with, a TikTok star. Trying to be a TikTok star. Um, so Ralph, that I'm just like, See, what are you doing, Lena Dunham? What are you like? This is like she just she just can't help herself. She just can't help herself. Uh, so instead, she's just like she has this kind of like bratty, shallow um, black character who she whose body she is a you know objectifying with her camera right out the gate. Um, it's like I don't know that this is progress for you, Lena Dunham. I just don't know. Um, but then, and then of course, it's just a side character anyway. And then we go back to Sarah Jo as she enters into this, um, this sexual relationship with her employer played by John Bernthal, who's, who's good. <laughs> anyway, yeah. he's, he's very good in this. Lena Dunham plays his wife, uh, who is, ex- I think she, she's pregnant, right? She's expecting mm-hmm. a, a baby. They already have a child. And, uh, and, you know, it, it just, and it does, there's, so we don't see like, any forces that made Sarah Joe the way she is. So if it is critiquing something about our culture and the way our culture um, sort of demonizes and infantilizes female sexuality, I just don't think that comes through in anything that we see. Like it feels like it, it, it presents the character of Sarah Joe with just like no wink with no take, just very straightforward, very earnest, very just like, well, yeah, very this earnest. is how she is. Yeah. Very like earnest. it's, it's a little bit of a, it's almost like a little bit of a Jerry Blank thing where there's like something's wrong with this character, but no one's really acknowledging it. <laughs> uh, everyone's just carrying on as if she is a very normal adult woman um, right. and she is not. So, yeah, it makes it hard to watch. It is hard to watch. Um, I'm going to have to give this one a send it back as well. Yeah, I am also giving this one to send it back. This is a very bad movie. Um, I <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I, I I would say they they slash them over over sharp stick. Um, I uh, yeah, I, I guess in terms of what I would watch again, I I think I might agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I I am not a Lena Dunham hater. Uh, I you know love Tiny Furniture. I love most of Girls. Um, but you know, she certainly obviously took a very long, <laughs> uh, break from things, uh, after girls in terms of creating her own stuff. And now she's starting to come back. She has another, another movie coming out this year called Catherine called birdie. Uh, and I, we'll see how that one goes. We'll see if we, <laughs> we'll see if Lena Dunham is actually just truly broken once and for all, or if sharp stick was just a weird thing. She had to get out of her system, but, uh, but yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a it's a send it back, and 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 it's it's really, 
Uh, I mean, to 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 waste people like Denver Jason Lee and Taylor Page and and John Bernthal is is just it's regrettable. Uh, so they all deserve better. And this movie sucks. uh it is available to rent um on streaming services and it is rated r movie number four i love my dad a desperate father poses as a woman online to reconnect with his estranged son but things get complicated when the young man wants to meet her in person (laughs) (laughs) so really what we've done this week is pick movies that are all very easy to watch uh, <laughs> really went out They're of way all about predators like, yeah. aren't they yeah i guess they kind of are i guess they kind of are um and i guess the the final film after this one is about you know the predation of uh of, i guess gatekeeping and capitalism i don't know uh <laughs> the pre- predatory egos predatory egos um but as for this film uh, the wildest thing about it is that it is based on a true story. Mm-hmm. Um, and the true story that it is based on happened to the actor who uh, both wrote and directed the film and then plays his, his own character in the film. His name is James Morosini. Um, and this happened to him. Uh, he was catfished by his own father um, because his father was frustrated that uh, about their lack of uh, communication. So, which is a pretty crazy story, and it makes for a pretty crazy movie. Uh, this, you know, it's, I had read a bunch about how cringe-inducing this was. So, you know, I had been led to believe this was super, super cringy as a movie, and and as as I'm going through it, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I can see how this is clearly cringe-y, can handle this i'm not too bothered um you know it definitely gets into a lot of you know very potentially uncomfortable territory um as we go further and further down the storyline of this catfishing um but i was like i can hang with this this is not so bad but then but then i will also admit that i don't think i looked at the screen for even a second for the last 20 minutes or so (laughs) Uh, i did not want to be present for that I, uh, I, I, uh, I, I was like, oh, they're good. Okay, they are not going to pull a single punch in showing us the full conclusion of this, uh, of this fraud. Um, okay, yeah, I, I can't, I can't watch this. <laughs> so yeah, I was fully staring at my phone um, and like basically dissociating uh, <laughs> for for the entire final act of this movie. Um, so yeah, it was very, uh, I, I will give them credit. They pull off the cringe with complete commitment and don't flinch. Uh, it is rough, rough to watch. And Patton Oswalt is so good. Um, oh, but, uh, amazing. yeah, yeah. How, uh, how was your cringe journey watching this movie? I mean, I, Sol was, couldn't, was also, you know, looking at her phone the whole time because she was so uncomfortable and was like, all of this, this all needs to go to jail. This is all, this whole thing needs, needs to go away. Um, I mean, it, there's a, I, I think for me, it was less cringe and more of this just like, what is going to happen? How is this going to end up? Because um, there, there's sort of this, while it's so cringy and, and embarrassing and, and all of the sort of like inevitable things that you, you know, have flirting and all the things that go on with catfishing, there's also this uh, very real, very present 
situation where the son is just getting out of um, like a, a live in therapy situation. He had just tried to end his life. So he's in an incredibly vulnerable state at this point in time while this whole thing is happening with his father. And he's just really, you know, kind of putting a lot on this potential relationship with this, this young woman. And so that is just, it's in seeing Patton Oswald like making loops and, and, and turning himself inside out to try to make this happen um, in, a, in a way that doesn't result in like his son being devastated or um, having to like actually come clean with the lie. It's just, it is so tense. It is so tense. I, I thought that that was kind of the overwhelming feeling that I had a little bit more than the cringe of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, <clears throat> yes, very that. Uh, I think because when we say cringe, I think we all think of things like, you know, meet the parents and, um, you know, where it, it, the, the stakes, the emotional stakes are not super high. Um, you know, where it's kind of like a farce and, you know, we're kind of like, oh, ha, ha, ha. Oh, he wants to get along with his in-laws, but they hate him, whatever. Um, but the actual, as you say, emotional, psychological stakes in this story are so very high. Um, and the only comfort we have is that this young man is still there starring in this movie that he wrote and directed. Right. Like I literally, I literally had to keep reminding myself, like, look at him. He's there. He's fine. <laughs> <laughs> he made it out through the situation. Okay. Uh, he, now he's making a movie about it, which is very therapeutic. Um, but yeah, because, you know, cause it is that kind of, um, uh, you know, the kind of the double-edged sword of, of Patton Oswalt's motives here, because, you know, he is so deeply invested in his son's happiness um, and he wants to make him happy, um, but he also wants to be in his life and he is not able to accept that for his son to be happy, he cannot be in his life. Um, you know, he needs to let his son come back to him on his own terms. And, you know, and then he inadvertently uh, creates this this false situation um, that engages his son's happiness and hopes and dreams in a way that that is, you know, really significant. And we know it's built on a lie. And the movie, as I said, does not pull a single punch uh, in uh, in the the way that this all ends up in the end. Uh it is very, very brutal uh, to to sit through, and it is acted with just such complete, completely convincing, bold bravery by everybody involved. But Patton Oswalt in particular, like, you know, we I don't think we Patton Oswalt has been acting for a long time. We still think of him more as a comic than an actor, I think, um, especially because he does he's the kind of like comedy hired gun that you just like pop into a movie to be like funny in a scene here or there. Um, but he has given some performances over the years that have transcended that. Um, mm -hmm. I think specifically of a young adult, um, mm -hmm. in which he was so magnificent, um, opposite Charlie Theron. Um, and, uh, and I think he, he did a movie a couple years back, somewhat similar to this called like your biggest fan or number one fan, something like that, where he's playing sort of like a similarly kind of like obsessive character. Um, but in this, his pain about, the lack of relationship he had with his son is so real. And I mean, I come from a family where there is a lot of this kind of um, angst over, you know, younger generations not being close enough to their parents. Mm. Um, so I, I really felt on a visceral level, Patton's characters 
um, emotional distress because like I've seen it in my own parents, like who were just willing to do anything to be closer to, you know, like my, my brother, his kids. And, you know, so I've seen the pain it causes them um, to not be, you know, as much a part of their lives as they would like to be. So I really kind of connected with this, with this story. Fortunately, my parents, as far as I know, have not done this. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's really, you know, it's, so it, it's a very real story. And this is the thing that happens. Families, families become afraid, families fall apart. Um, and, you know, and I think that one thing the movie never quite super does is explain what Patton's character did that pushed his son away so much. We hear a lot of dialogue. Oh, he's a pathological liar. He's this, he's that. Um, and we see like some like cutaways to him from, you know, flashbacks to when the kid was younger. Um, but I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that the movie necessarily gives us this huge thing of like, Oh yeah, it, it broke the family for good when he did X, Y, and Z, but we don't necessarily need that. Cause we see the result of it. We see the way his ex-wife played by Amy Landecker um, acts around him, you know, mm-hmm. and we see, how firm and adamant that the son is that his mental health depends on not having his father be part of his life. Um, he can't have that deceit. And then of course, through his well-meaning, but very selfish actions, uh, he patents character completely reinforces why the boundary was there in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and it must also be noted. Rachel Dratch gives a very insane performance <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and Lil Ray Howard is his friend at work. Oh, yeah. um, mm. I mean, I think that all this, you know, maybe because it's based on a true story, it just there's a very realistic reactions from the people <laughs> that find out about what's going on. No one's, you know, in his in Pat Oswalt's corner, like trying to help him out or telling him that he's doing the right thing. Like no. everyone is <laughs> absolutely uh, uh, shocked and disgusted when they find out what he's doing. Um but he also mm-hmm. also kind of gets himself in a situation when he realizes how much his son likes this woman and the, the state his son is in. He can't just stop it either. Um, he's really worked himself into quite the pickle. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, this is a tough one. Um, but, you know, I think it's it, I, I did find myself wondering while I was watching it if it would have worked better as a short. Um, <laughs> you know, as you often do. Just, <laughs> sure. I'm like, could this have been a series or a short? Um, but you know, just because like, I was like, Oh, is there enough here to maintain a feature narrative? You know, um, I did feel like it, there was maybe a bit of a long gating going on, um, to fill a, a feature runtime for what's ultimately a pretty, uh, simple story. Um, but you know, all in all, uh, you know, I really felt like this movie contains a lot of really uncomfortable truth in it. And it's, it's absolutely very bold and uh and and very memorable and very well acted and so yeah i i i I was impressed for uh, the hour or so that i actually was looking at it (laughs) (laughs) i also really like the way they told the story that's like primarily done over text message or i guess over like facebook Mm. messenger you know Mm -hmm. they do a lot of like you know the actress who is kind of the inspiration for this fake person that he creates is you know, kind of acts out the conversations or sometimes when it gets a little mixed, um, you know, Pat Oswalt's acting him out. So it's, um, <laughs> it has a very, I think that's the thing that makes it feel like a, it's okay as a, as a movie for me is that there are these sort of like little fantasy scenes that like the son sort of fills in, in his head about what's going on. And he's like imagining this relationship with this woman. Um, and giving that richness to the dialogue that happens in text, I think 
I think I think it works out okay. Yeah. It's getting a binge yeah. it for me. You know, I, I will feel very bad when everybody involved is put in jail by Saul. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, because it is, it is, it is a good film. Um, I, do I want to give it a binge? I'm on that kind of like binge minus consume plus cusp with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and, and join in with you and give it a binge. Oh, how wonderful. Uh, this was also available to rent Apple, Amazon, Google, and it is rated R. Our last movie of the week is of the week of this period of time is <laughs> official competition. Penelope Cruz and Antonio Banderas stars two egomaniacs commissioned by a millionaire to make a movie together in the sharp comedy skewering wealth, art, and pride. Do we still do pick of the week? You know, I was thinking about that the other day. Um, <laughs> we certainly can. <laughs> I mean, this would be it. Mm, go on. This would be it. I mean, this is just, uh, you know, it's it's uh, hilarious right up my alley, satire-wise. Reminds me a lot of, like, uh, The Square. Um, mm. This movie is played, you know, completely deadpan, completely seriously, and it is absolutely hilarious. Um, Antonio Banderas plays this, like, kind of aging, uh, uh, what would you say, like a Brad Pitt-type movie star yeah kind of kind of like a yeah just like a big uh yeah just like just a, a not an actor but a movie star mm-hmm. and on the other side you have uh oscar martinez this argentinian actor um who is kind of the um you know renowned thespian and they are just at odds with each other penelope cruz plays this eccentric director they're all taking money from the this benefactor this pharmaceutical ceo who at 80 years old wants to do something with his life, um, which is really have a bridge in the city with his name on it. Um, but Or he'll make a movie. So he pays all this money for his rights to the book, hasn't even read the book. There's the, the hatred with which, which, with which Penelope Cruz interacts with him is just delicious. And she puts them through all these crazy exercises to get them in touch as actors. It's It's just... So funny. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I, I also, I believe this is the first film in which we've had Banderas and Cruz together. Really? Huh. Isn't that wild? Like, yeah, yeah. They, both were, they both came to you know prominence through the films of Almodovar, but they were never in one together. Never one together. Yeah, yeah. we were like 10 minutes into this movie and Saul said something. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, like all, all of one of our films and i was like this is not and she was like what it's, it's <laughs> it feels like a hybrid of all of them yeah i mean certainly certainly the 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 wig penelope cruz the wears wig. from an amadovar film <laughs> 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 it feels like an on it's a visual signifier of amadovar if nothing else is is that wig also let me just say natalie portman and thor love and thunder take a lesson uh, this is how you wear a huge wig, but don't let it wear you. Uh, like Penny Cruz is, is, is one with that wig and that wig is one with her. Uh, mm-hmm. it is, it, I was just like, this is, I buy it. Yep, absolutely. This is what her hair looks like. And it works. <laughs> it is, it is really just the linchpin of this performance is that wig. Um, it feels like Penelope Cruz has to be having a good time in this movie. Um, because it, it's just, it's, it's just, she just gets to be so goofy, but very serious goofy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Antonio Banderas 
is hilarious. Hilarious. Like, in a way that I don't know that I know he could do. Like, he is so fucking, like, he, he, he nails all these little details of his character being this absolute goofball dummy. Um, with like, no <laughs> self-awareness. Um, he was taking himself so seriously. But for me, Oscar Martinez actually may have been like the stealth VIP uh, because that, because I think, you know, the movie has a lot of fun making fun of like really broad, obvious targets like, oh, like wealthy old man, you know, who was thinking about his legacy and like, you know, super eccentric film director, over artsy, um, you know, like dumb fuck matinee idol movie star with no artistry. Um, you know, so you think like, oh, is this so that means Yvonne, this this serious thespian is going to be our sort of like our way in our sort of like. <laughs> um, but the, the 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 skewering of him may have actually been the most savage skewering of any character really? in the movie. <laughs> uh, it is it is just like it, the, the 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 ways that this character does not see himself. It's oh done so, so beautifully. There's this amazing it, scene where he and his wife, which is also an amazing scene when Antonio Medeiros meets his wife. Oh, um, yes! <laughs> when I he, yeah, he and his wife are listening to this, like, experimental record, <laughs> and they're, like, talking about, you know, how all these dimensions and how this artist is there's such energy and... And then she's like, oh, that percussion. And he's like, oh, wait, no, I think that's just somebody knocking on the door. (laughs) (laughs) This movie is really wonderful. Oh, my God. Really hilarious. Yeah, it just the egos in every way and the ego that's pretending not to and the ego that is pretending to be a a philanthropist. um, Mm. It's just. Oh my god, the the boulder, the boulder being suspended the boulder, over them. The <laughs> boulder. She has this other crazy exercise where she's trying to. I mean, she's trying to. Uh, the the CEO of the pharmaceutical company who's bankrolling this film, you know, has his daughter be in the movie. Oh, yeah. So she creates this scene to make it really uncomfortable for all of them. It's really, and then the movie ends up being incredibly meta that about the movie that they're making, mm-hmm. and it's just it is brilliant. I I I clapped when it was over. I, I was just tickled the whole time. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, just like right down to the details, like you know, they're the at the choice to in terms of what how to make a movie that will honor this man's legacy is for him to buy the rights to some like impossible literary novel that won the Nobel Prize, but from what we can see, is just the most like heavy-handed, obvious story <laughs> <laughs> of this like Cain and Abel slash prodigal son kind of story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, it's, yeah, just, it, I think it, it is a, we've seen so, so, so many, um, skewerings of the Hollywood film industry, uh, but we don't see a lot of them about filmmaking outside of Hollywood. So to see this kind of skewering of, you know, the Spanish film industry is a welcome change of pace. And, um, you know, and I'm sure there's probably elements of it that we can't fully appreciate because, you know, we are not familiar with the house, how filmmaking works in Spain in terms of saying this could really all resonate in terms of like who's paying for it mm-hmm. and how these things are put together um, and what the real actual goal is. For people who get involved. Oh, my God. The, the step of the awards. Oh, so um, good. I mean, even <laughs> the, the actor um, who plays the, the CEO billionaire is so yeah. good in yeah. selling his his arrogance and idiocy. Oh, it's just brilliant. Yeah, the opening, the opening scene of him, like 
um, berating his like assistant or whatever as he tries to <laughs> sort out what he wants to do to like honor his own legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's just it's a treat. Um, I, this is a, yeah. like the first major film from these two directors. The movie is about takes place in Spain, but it's by these two Argentinian directors, Gaston Duprat and Mariano Cohn. Um, they've done some other films, but this is definitely a big leap in terms of terms of casting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, if this is you know indicative of of what their interests are as filmmakers, then it certainly speaks well um, of what we can look forward to going going ahead, um, and just their ability to land this cast their first time out. I mean, like they really must have uh, seen the script and been like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes I, will, I, will, I will. I will say yes to this and I will be just out of my mind insane uh, in this in this movie. Yeah, it's a real it's a real treat. This is uh, my the pick of this time period. Uh, getting a <laughs> pick of the episode. Pick of the episode. <laughs> Pick of the pod? Is that what it pick is? A pod pick, pod pick. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, new little music cue for that. Pod pick, pod pick, pod pick. Uh, yes, it is my, uh, is binge it for me as well. And this one is once again available to rent on Apple, Amazon, Google, and Rated R. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back at some other time soon. <laughs> we really appreciate you listening to the binge. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There There goes goes the the binge. binge.